Well, good morning. Look, Ma, I made it. I'm a televangelist. Thank you for joining us online. People have asked, you know, give us some ideas. What, Gene, what did you give up for Lent? Well, I gave up going to restaurants. I gave up gathering with my friends at church. I gave up going to the Y for my workout. I, I gave up going inside a bank. I gave up the NCAA tournament. I gave up going to the library. All for Lent. Oh, unusual time. A lot of times we try to go away for spring break. Kind of wrestling. Where should we go this year for spring break? The den or the living room? Gene, must everything be a joke? No, but humor's my way to kind of bring up subjects. In 41 years of ministry, I've never done this. We live in interesting days. Who can predict these events? Shutting down churches. I mean, shutting down the entire church. Are we overreacting? Probably not. This is a time when it would be wise not to underreact. But I think once it's open, once we've completed this season, and we're together again in the sanctuary, I think we will appreciate community more than we ever have. I think we will appreciate the joy of actually coming together in community. I, I began with some jokes, but this is an incredibly serious time. I think it's also especially unique for a real-life community church. You don't have a pastor during this critical time. Yes, I'm here. I'm, I'm filling in the pulpit. I meet with the staff about once a month. Not to go over the day-to-day. -day, they're handling that. But to talk about my, what my next series will be, make sure we're kind of on the same page, kind of making sure we're all together. But once a month, you don't, you don't have a full-time pastor here. So the team has been left to make important decisions, critical decisions. Chandra and the real-life team have been prayerfully, carefully, with spiritual discernment. They made wise decisions for the ongoing ministries of real life. You're blessed to have them. Next week we'll meet, just like today, 10 o'clock online. We're so thankful for technology that we can do even this. But we're hoping for the best. But we're prepared for the worst. Because your team's in place. So I guess I could say to you, be at peace. Be at peace. I love the verse Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, these are weird days, but we don't live in despair. We're the church, and we're more than a building. We're the church. Today is Feast of the Tabernacles, and you'll be amazed, as I was, as I reviewed it in my mind, how it kind of fits the days we're living through. Continue to rest in Him and be still and know that I am God. Let, let me give you my life verse. I, I, I received this life verse when I was in college. I've had it forever. Psalm 8411. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He'll give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I think before we really kick off and feast the tabernacles, let's have prayer together. Father, it is an incredibly unique time. A frustrating time. A difficult time. I started off today just trying to tease a little bit, but this is serious days. And we're living them together. 
and we can't even meet as a community. And, and your, your verses in my mind don't stop meeting together. Well, we had to. I can't wait for us to be together again. But Father, in these days, we don't want to spend our life talking philosophy, strategy. I think Satan fears us when we pray. And we come to you on behalf of our president and vice president who are leading the administrative charge. Give them wisdom. Give them discernment. We pray for the entire world and world leaders trying to grapple with the pandemic. We pray for them. A unique wisdom from you. Remind us to be still and know that you are God. And Father, we pray for our doctors and nurses and the medical scientists that are working so diligently to find the right formula to stop the pandemic. And even though there's been some encouraging news, we just pray for more encouraging news. We pray for families that are grieving. We pray for those that are quarantined with, with already caught the coronavirus. Father, we pray that they be still and know that you are God. As a nation, as we all worship together today, churches all around our country online, may we band together in prayer for our leaders, for the wisdom, for peace. And I thought it would be wholly appropriate not only to pray for our country and the world, but to spend a moment praying just for us, real life, because you are living an unusual time, married to an unusual time when you don't have a pastor. So much has fallen on Chandra, and she's handled it. As I'm with your team more and more, I'm more and more impressed with your team. But I thought it would be wholly appropriate to just anoint Chandra for leadership and have her team around her. So I'm going to ask them to join me on the stage. And let's now band together for our team. If you just put your hand on Chandra's back and let's just come together. Father, we just continue in prayer while we have a burden for the entire country, and we do. And we pray for our leaders, and we do. May this be a time when politics doesn't count and we just work for what's best for all of us. But Father, while we pray for our nation and world, we want to stop and just pray for our church. I thank you for Chandra. She's a gift to this church. She has administrative common sense. That's a unique gift. It's an important gift that you're using particularly now. Thank you for the team that's around her. They're bonded, they're unified, and they're focused. And they're prayerfully making decisions. We pray for their ongoing wisdom, their ongoing discernment, that our church roll through this wisely. We're going to be on the other side. This is going to end. And when it ends, we can hug each other in the halls and say, we got through this, but it wasn't an accident. You were here, and you've had the right people in place. And Chandra, we anoint you for leadership and wisdom in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all may be seated. We've been really in a study of the feasts. Because those feasts are so incredibly important. They're the written picture of the Messiah. God gave those Old Testament folks a, a, a picture of what the Messiah was going to be. And as they did those feasts, it taught about Jesus. The Old Testament is not just a collection of stories. There's a master theme going on here. And the master theme is God takes the initiative through Christ. 
He's telling the story of Jesus. You've heard the, the, the cliche of pictures with a thousand words. Well, it is. And the picture is those feasts. And as we study the feasts, it gives us more and more of an appreciation of who Jesus is and what he's done for our life. We no longer participate in those feasts. You're saying, well, if they're so important, we should keep doing them. No, because the feast taught them who Jesus was, who was coming. He's already come. That's why Jesus says, a new feast I now give you to celebrate what I have done, not what I'm going to do. The feast that we now have, of course, is Holy Communion. We no longer participate in the feasts. That doesn't mean they're not important. The more we know about the feasts, the more we know about Jesus. This week is Feast of Tabernacles. Last week was Feast of Trumpets, and this one kind of connects with it. This one is in the fall, as Feast of Trumpets was. The harvest is complete, the year is completed, and there's the joy. The Feast of Tabernacles is the ultimate climax of the feasts. It is the joy. Such a joyous celebration, a rabbi once said, that a person who has not been to Jerusalem during Feast of Tabernacles doesn't know what it is to rejoice. This is a gigantic celebration. All the feasts are celebrations. But this is the climax of them all. It's the religious season has been complete. Now, I've taught four feasts. There are actually seven. These are the four major. Seven represents completion. The Feast of the Tabernacles, the finished work of God in our lives through Jesus. The finished work. Now, we've got we to worry about that. That doesn't mean that we're completely mature. We continue to grow, but we rest in Christ. Do you see the tension? We rest, yet grow. We rest, yet strive. We rest, yet press on. Yeah, I get it. There's some tension there. I think Paul got this tension. Take a look at Philippians 3.12. I do not mean that I am already what God wants me to be. I have not yet reached that goal, but I continue to reach it. To make it mine, Christ wants me to do which is in reason that he made me his. So, we're expected to grow. Think about it this way. Every brand new baby is absolutely beautiful. But if that brand new baby, no matter how beautiful it is when you hold that baby, if that brand new baby is exactly the same one year later, we got a problem. Every brand new believer, I mean, they're beautiful, a brand new believer. But if they're exactly the same one year later, we got a problem. And, and here's what I think we break down. People believe churches make you grow. If I'm part of a church, I will grow. I, I'm always nervous in my church when somebody comes to me, a brand new person says, I came here because I didn't grow in my other church. That's a red flag for me. Because people somehow get it in their minds, churches make me grow. That is a myth. Uh, the way to understand it, Supposing someone lived next door to Gold's Gym where they're lifting the weights and they're watching all, all these really built-up guys walk out and they're feeling like, you know, I want to go to that gym. I want to look like that. So they sign up for six months. They walk in the gym and, 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 and it's not just weights. It's, it's complicated machines and they're saying, you know, I don't want to look like a fool. I'm going to sit here and watch so I know how to use the machines. So he watches. He comes the next day and watches. The next day and watches. In fact, for six months. He goes in the gym and sits and watches everybody else work out. They come to him and say, do you want to re-sign up? He says, no, this place is a farce. I didn't change a bit. That's what people do to church. They think 
If I come to church once a week and sit down and go home, I'm going to grow spiritually. That's a lie. That's a myth. The church is like a gym. We have resources here that when you plug in, they, they are part of your growth. As you, re, as you plug into different things that are going on, as soon as the virus is over, as you plug into the life of the church, it has a lot to do with you continuing to grow. If you believe coming to church once a week, sitting down and going home, you're going to grow, you are not going to grow. I'm sorry. We might as well tell the truth now. A church is like a gym that provides resources for you to grow. But if you participate in those resources, you will grow. Paul wrote later in the same letter, Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in regard to the need, for I have learned that wherever I am, the state I am, I'm to be content to rest in Christ. There it is. A few verses earlier it says, I press, I press, I press to the mark. And now he's saying, no matter where I am, I can just rest. Do you feel the tension? Rest in Christ. I thought, how appropriate. We're dealing with the coronavirus and we're supposed to rest in Christ. Yet, press toward the mark. The tension, resting in confidence, yet pressing forward. This is a big part of the message of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why I kind of gave you that foundation. The year is complete. We can rest from the harvest, yet we press to get ready for next year's harvest. Rests in confidence, pressed to the mark. Let's look at the beginning of the feast. As in all the feasts, they're, all, they're, they're, they're just dominated in the book of Leviticus. So if we want to find out the first time God says, here's a new feast, go to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23, 33 to 36, quite a few verses. Follow along. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of the seventh month, so again, the fall, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, there'll be a holy convocation. The entire church gathers together. No coronavirus. They'll do no customary work on it. For seven days, you'll offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, so an interesting little change here, after seventh day, there's the eighth day. We continue on. You shall have a holy convocation all coming together. You'll make an offering by fire to the Lord. This is a sacred assembly, and you'll do no customary work on it. So he's laid down the foundation, and just three verses later, he's going to build on that with a whole lot more. So let's go there. 23, now we're going to jump in on verse 39. Also, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the beginning of Feast of Tabernacles, you have a gathering in the fruits of the land. You shall bring the feast for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest. On the eighth day, there's that eighth day again, Sabbath rest. You shall make for yourselves the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees. Branches of palm trees, palm branches ring a bell, the bow of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever for your generations. You'll celebrate it on the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. That's a change. You'll dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, a lot of words, I know. Let's begin to break that down. Let's begin with those dates, because dates are important. 15th day to 21st, as all of them, seven days. And again, if you're into math, you're saying 15 to 21 to 6. No, they count the first day, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So seven days, seventh month, and seven in Scripture deals with completion. The seventh month on the Jewish calendar is Trishbi. 
Then on the 22nd, remember the eighth day, this extends an extra day, there was a special Sabbath, a day of rest, and there was a lot going on on that day, a lot of celebration. It's key to the rituals. And the Feast of Tabernacles simply looks to two different things. First, 40 years, the Jews wandered, and as they wandered, they lived in little shelters, or booths, or tabernacles. They were now to build tabernacles to remind them of the wandering of their forefathers. They're reminding them those tabernacles were only temporary. Even during the wandering, God was, preparing, was, was providing their needs, bringing them to the land of rest that was promised to them. God now says, I want you to remember that they lived in those tabernacles. So for those seven days, they would build the little tabernacles, remember, reminding them that for 40 years, they were nomads. Where they were was not their home, but had a forward look. The top of the tabernacle was so loosely constructed, it was all open, reminding them, I'm passing through this life, and I'm looking into the heavens. There is a final home. God has a greater future for followers of Christ. And now as you think about it, that's us. We're nomads. This earth is not our home. We look to eternity. The final home, the city built by God. I mean, this is the desire of, of, of Abraham in that Hebrews 11th chapter, the hall of fame of faith. Look what it says here, Hebrews 8 to 11, 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he would go. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which is foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's us. We're nomads traveling through our time, traveling through earth, waiting for the city whose foundation is built by God. And Jesus calls us to rest in him, focusing on where we're going. Our hope is built on Christ. Despite the circumstances around us, despite everything going around us, that I thought, wow. The Feast of Tabernacles has a lot to do with us today. There's a lot going on around us. We rest despite this virus. We do not live in fear. We're the church. We're looking to that hole in the roof, realizing this place with sickness and virus and paraphernalia isn't my home. My home is a city built by God. They would celebrate this. And they live in the tabernacles remembering that we passed through to our rest. We pressed and yet there's rest. Now, all the feasts, of course, point to Jesus. Jesus fulfills the Feast of Tabernacles. One way he fulfills the Feast of Tabernacles, frankly, is his second coming. He will come for me to take me to his home. It will be completion and rest. Until then, we can know rest for our souls because of Jesus. On the way to Feast of Tabernacles... Jesus made a statement that I think bears out everything. Now, I, I need to back up before I even give it to you. When, when, you're, when you study communication, it's very aggressive. Understand who you're talking to. Don't show off. Don't talk over their head. Who's your audience? In fact, nowadays they call it targeted communication. Well, Jesus was a master of this. It wasn't, it wasn't labeled back then, but Jesus targeted his lesson to who he was talking to. Do you ever notice if he's talking to fishermen, he's saying, you know, you guys, when you mend your nets, that's their life. They got that. Now he may be teaching basically the same message to shepherds, but now he says, you know, fellas, what do you do when you got 100 sheep counting and you come back at 90, 90 at the end of the day? 
Boom. That's their life. Jesus now talking to farmers, he said, I, I got three different kinds of soil for you. He never talked about soil to fishermen. He never talked about nets to farmers or shepherds. He talked about their life, targeted communication. And so they say, one way to understand who Jesus is, what his lesson is, who is he talking to? When you know who he's talking to, you, you have a sense of what he's teaching. So here he's, he's talking to a farming community. Matthew eleven. 28. He's on his way to Feast of Tabernacles, and it's critical to Feast of Tabernacles. I'm going to break this down, but let me give it to you all at once. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. First part. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Raise your hand. Come on. Every single one of us is heavy laden right now. We're afraid to go out. Health is gigantic on our minds. It's a dominant. Watch the news. And maybe you had a health issue totally unrelated to coronavirus, and now that's multiplied. Maybe you're living day to day financially. You're not getting a check right now because the way you work has changed. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Maybe it has nothing to do with coronavirus. Maybe there's a relationship that's collapsing on you. Come to me, who are weary and heavy laden. Raise your hand. That's everybody. Then he says, I will give you rest. There's that rest again. He's on his way to tabernacles. I will give you rest. Frankly, and you've heard me say this before, not to be sarcastic, not to be irreligious, certainly, but frankly, he hasn't helped me. I will give you rest. You ever have a problem and take a nap? You wake up, you got the same problem. The next verse is the kicker. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Ding, 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 ding. There it is. Farmers, if they had a rock or something that one oxen couldn't move, they would yoke a second oxen. And they would be so close together that they, the two of them could move the rock. Jesus is saying, is there something more than you can handle? Is there a rock you can't move? Are you overwhelmed? I will partner with you. I will yoke with you. He's not saying I'll make the rock disappear. Just because we're serving Christ doesn't mean we don't have the reality of life. And life can be hard. He doesn't say, you'll tiptoe through the tulips the rest of your life. There'll be rocks. There'll be things in your life bigger than you, and you can't move them alone. And as Jesus comes along and says, I am the face of tabernacles. I will give you rest. I will partner with you. You know, I see people breaking all the time. And I feel like, not to be unkind, but you should. If you don't know Christ, you're living your life trying to move things you were never designed to move in the first place. No wonder you break. You're designed for Christ that when these moments in our life come that's so overwhelming that we can say, I need you to partner with me. I need you to be so close to me that you actually yoke with me. Jesus is the tabernacle of rest because he yokes with us. Jesus makes clear. You'll find that kind of rest, that kind of power in me only. But the more you know me, the more the rest can be there because of our relationship. Now we see the tension. I want to press on to know him more that I might be available for more rest, that I might know him more, that I might be in a position for more rest. The closer I am to him, the more I understand his yoking with me. So it's not a tension. They're married together. Jesus doesn't give us life. He is life. Jesus doesn't give us peace. He is peace. Jesus doesn't give us love. He is love. He is all of us. 
and all of him, and we can rest in him as we press toward the mark. He is our tabernacle. The problem, there are people that never enter that tabernacle of rest because we want things from Jesus rather than Jesus. We want his blessings. We want his gifts rather than him. He himself is our rest, and he is available for us only as we give our lives to him and we press on knowing him more and more and more. Now, remember I said that eighth day, everything was the gigantic celebration? That, that eighth day was designed to wrap everything up, and, and the rabbi said, if you've never been here for Feast of Tabernacles, you don't understand what celebration is. And this clearly points to Jesus. The last day of the feast is called the Day of Great Hosanna. This is the grand finale. They had a ritual, first ritual, was pouring water. The rainy season's about to come. Remember, this is an arid area. They need that water to keep the thing going so the ground can be plowed up. They offer, rain, they offer water as a significance. It's physical significance. It's an offering as they pour the water that they're saying, God, we need your rain as part of our celebration and the Messiah will come that will give us living waters. So the priest, the high priest, would, would draw water for the pool of Shalom. In a golden pitcher, he would take the water to the basin at the foot of the altar and pour it. The priests would blow their trumpets. They would wave palm branches of celebration. The palm branches, of course, foretelling Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They would have this great celebration, praising God for the water. He's going to, he's going to come. All the way back in Isaiah, Isaiah 12, 3. Therefore, with joy, you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. This is referring to this great celebration. The water, we're pouring the water, celebrating this. And Jesus, of course, was here. These, these feasts were enforced while he was walking on earth. He kept the feasts as part of obedience to the Torah. And at the high point of this, they're pouring the water. Jesus says, I need to say something right now. John's an eyewitness. Look what, John, what Jesus says. John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day, this is the kicker day, we're pouring water. On the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But, he, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. The Holy Spirit had not been given for Jesus had not been yet been glorified. Wow. They're pouring the water, thanking God for the rain, realizing the Messiah will come, that will be of us living water. Jesus stands up and says, here am I. I am that living water. He is the Feast of Tabernacles. And some of these things that we read in the Bible, when we put them in context of when they happen, like at the Feast of Tabernacles, they're huge. At the high point of the pouring of the water, Jesus comes forward and says, I am living water. I am the tabernacle of pressing and rest that God has been teaching you for thousands of years. Now in the evening is, of course, the last of all. The lighting of the temple. How cool this must have been. Tens of thousands are there. And they light torches and they march around the city in the darkness. With these thousands of torches, it must have been beautiful to see. This too has a physical and a spiritual significance. Sunshine is needed. And along with the rain, they're praying for God for the sun to make the harvest germinate and grow. They also realize that the Messiah is going to be the light of our life. The coming Messiah. And yet, in the middle of this, 
Jesus steps forward and again makes this bold statement. I think we read this verse all the time, but we don't realize it's made during the eighth day. It's made during the climax of the Feast of Tabernacles. Just a few verses later, John 8, 12, John records it. Then Jesus spoke again. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. Again, these famous statements of Jesus, I think, pop when we realize where he's saying them. This famous statement of I am the light of the world is made during the Feast of Tabernacles when they're lighting the city. The context now makes it even more powerful. Jesus is saying, everything you've learned about the tabernacles, here I am. It's me. I am living water. I am the light of the world. I am the one that you press toward that you might know me better, that you might receive rest. We can rest for our souls. Because now we both rest in confidence, despite the health stuff going on around us. Rest in confidence and press on to know him better, living his kingdom. We walk in peace, in power, and rest. He yokes with us, even in uncertain days, as I've said, I've never done this in 41 years of ministry. Even then, on certain days, we rest in his peace, his power, yoking with us, all part of the Feast of Tabernacles, our light and living water. Last four weeks, we've put together the four major feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, trumpets, and now tabernacles. Now, next week, we're going to conclude, we're, we're, we're going to end the series now, because next week, as we inch closer and closer to Easter, I want to begin to get more on the specifics of Easter, the death, the resurrection. Next week is the blood and the wood. 10 o'clock, online. See you next week? Nope, I won't see you next week. But you'll see me. One last time, my life verse, how appropriate. Psalm 8411. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let's pray together. Father, no good thing do you withhold. I thank you for this church. And we do yearn to be together as a community. We've been reminded why you say don't stop meeting together. We need each other. We're creatures designed for relationship. And even though we're forced to stop meeting together, it just makes us realize the value. Maybe we kind of took for granted. Maybe we're learning something in these days. The value of being together. Celebrating together. Laughing together. Crying together. Being convicted together. Praising together. No wonder you said, don't stop this. This time that we spend is important. But now, even as we spend it online, may your Holy Spirit work through all those computers speaking to us. May I rest in confidence in your power. And, and when, when I bleed, may I yoke with you. May I press on to know you so well that I understand when you're yoking with me. When my paycheck is stopped. When I feel sick, when I'm worried, may I yoke with you and rest in your power. Father, I thank you and praise you for the Feast of the Tabernacles. In the holy name of Jesus, amen, amen.